Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Well, guys, we have some exciting news for you from Vortex about their brand new eyewear, their Banshee and Jackal sunglasses. Me and Andrew have had these for a few weeks now, right before the release, and we've been extremely impressed. They're awesome glasses, guys. And listen, if you're needing some new sunglasses, not only do they have the VIP warranty, but they're tough as crap, guys. Uh, Scratch-resistant eyewear, uh, it's extremely important. And also, they have safety features as well. So when you're out shooting at the range, again, these are rated glasses, so you are going to be more than protected when you're at the range. But they also look fantastic when you're out around town. So right now, Vortex has some special pricing on their website, which is vortexoptics.com for the new eyewear. But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at vortexoptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from vortexoptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the Eco Wild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. 
Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We're doing a little trail cam talk today with my buddy Shane Parker. Shane, what's up, man? How you doing? Good, guys. How y'all doing? Ah, uh, dude, I'm doing excellent. I kind of hit you up out of nowhere yesterday, and I was like, hey, you want to do a podcast? Because I was telling Jacob, you know, we're, we're here at the end of turkey season. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a few more turkey hunts in, but the, the, fl- the switch has flipped in my brain, and uh, I've begun wasting a lot of time at work looking at maps, thinking about deer season. And one of the things I was thinking about is some areas I hunted last year and how I really want to get a good inventory of bucks this summer via trail cameras. I want to get in there and see who made it, uh, see who's hanging out in the area, and and try to do a good job with my summer trail cams. Because what I'd normally end up doing is I it gets to be like July, and I'm like, crap, I should probably throw some cameras out. And then I go and put like two cameras out you know, in one, in one scouting day. And I, I just don't do it justice. Like I, like I could. And, uh, and so I'm wanting to dive into that with you and like, you're the perfect person to talk about that with. Um, so you've been on a couple episodes with us before, but, uh, just in case people haven't heard those yet, which I'll link them down in the description. So people go listen to that. Uh, why don't you give people a little background on yourself and, and kind of what you do with trail cameras? Uh, well, um, I guess as far as, I guess as far as the trail cameras go, uh, I kind of started um, doing, um, I guess, a, a study of my own, um, I guess, probably four years ago, maybe five years ago. I kind of got into the trail camera business, not not the business itself, but the business of using them. Uh, I'd gotten uh, away from hunting for maybe five or six years and um, grew up hunting. Uh, started hunting when I was um, in, my, in my, well, early teens, probably 11, 12 years old, uh, then kind of uh, work, family, stuff like that kind of took me away from it for a while. And when I got back into it, I just uh, discovered the trail camera kind of, kind of would, I don't know, it just piqued my interest. Uh, so I've started using that to kind of, uh, I guess, um, shorten the curve of the learning curve of, of, uh, of, of scouting and stuff like that. And I just dove head first into it, I guess, uh, you could say in, in, and right now, uh, this, like this summer, I'll be running almost close to 300 trail cameras um i'll probably be in the 250 to 270 range uh by the time i end up uh this summer um on, on several different properties um and, you know, i've got access to a, a new private area that's never been hunted so I'm, I'm really excited to dive into that and see exactly what uh what that that properties hold and then a lot of it i'm doing on, on private land so i'm kind of gonna start uh seeing what the difference between the private where there's no hunting pressure versus public land where there is hunting pressure and then start to kind of uh, build a profile of how that can can really differ you know so i guess that would be um that'd be where i'm at right now as far as my trail cam game goes i guess yeah uh we got man i wish that people could see the group text that we got going with uh it's it's you and me 
Jacob Myers, Michael Pike, and Paul Putera. And man, you and Paul in that group message, like y'all drop some freaking not like people would pay money to see what goes on in that group text. Uh, so, uh, we had episodes with you last year. Uh, we had a series with you. I think it was like the whole month of August. If people want to go back and listen to that base, I think like every episode we did last August was, uh, you and Paul and we, we were going to get you and Paul on, uh, just for like an episode and you came down to the house and we cooked out and everything. And then we ended up recording for like four and a half hours. <laughs> so we broke it up into a series. Cause man, you can go down a rabbit hole on this stuff. And, uh, and the, the amount of data that you're getting from these trail cameras is just unbelievable. And the conclusions that you're drawing from it is really, really interesting, especially if you're a deer nerd, like anybody who listens to this podcast. So well, like, I think we'll have to do another one with you sometime, maybe this summer, kind of breaking down what you found last year. Uh, cause man, you got some big bucks on camera last year. I mean, you got a bunch of nice deer on camera last year. Yeah. Last year was really good for, for, um, capturing, uh like you said a, a lot of big mature deer that i really just kind of came out of nowhere um uh, i've been i guess prior to that i just been prior to last year i just been tracking like maybe two mature bucks mainly and last year it just seemed like it just boom it just you know five or six just appeared during a summer bachelor group and so i just kind of morphed that out of you know trying to track all five of them and I did a pretty good job um, uh, keeping track of them last year, but uh, last year was such an anomaly as far as bulk movement compared to the previous years. Um, it was it, it, it is last year is an is an entire story unto itself uh, as far as what I saw in the previous years to, to last year. So yeah, you could definitely you could definitely dissect last year down as far as bulk movement, as far as rut stuff like that as just a, a, an entity of itself. It's completely abnormal from everything that I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I, I want to break that down and, and get into that. But in this episode, I really want to talk about the methodology of actually finding those bucks and, and being effective with your trail cameras. Uh, cause that's a whole rabbit hole. A lot of people that listen to this podcast hunt public and the, the bucks that you're talking about were on public ground. So you're not throwing a camera on a corn pile or a, or a mineral mineral block or anything like that. You're finding stuff out in the woods to put a camera on to catch these bucks consistently, which is fascinating and really useful information. And so I kind of want to drill down on that. And uh, I guess to start out, you said that you've already got a bunch of your cameras out, correct? For this coming year, you've already got a decent number of them out? Yeah, I've got about two thirds of, of what I'll have out by the end of summer. I've got those out right now. So I'm, I'm, I think I've got 146, I think, is what I've got out right now. Maybe 150, something like somewhere around that number. Dude, I feel like we could do a podcast on the logistics of like, how do you not lose cameras? <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it is. It's crazy. It, it, I have to use uh, three different apps uh, because the pins overlap. So, uh, just remembering which one you, you run, which app it's on is, is, a is a, is a chore in itself because once you get that many out, if you put them on one, one of the app based, one of the map based apps, uh, it would, it, you couldn't see the ground underneath. There's just so many pins dropped, you know, that's, that's crazy, man. So to give people a little perspective, it's April 27th at the time we were recording this. So end of April here in Alabama, still Turkey season, you've already got a bunch of cameras out. 
So I think the first thing that would pop into a lot of people's heads, myself included, is what is what exactly is it that you're looking for right now? I mean, most of the bucks, they barely even have antlers. Like, they're barely growing antlers yet. Uh, it's not like they're laying down rubs or scrapes or anything like that right now. What is it that you're looking for to begin with to start your trail cam strategy to put a trail camera out and say, okay, a buck's going to walk in front of this at some point? Goodness, I mean, it, it's hard to quantify. Um, it it kind of comes with experience, but I guess the – Right now, what I'm looking for with most all of my trail cameras now is to is more to identify uh, fawns, uh, like the the does. That's where a majority of, of my um, intel is is kind of directed toward right now. As far as the cameras I've got out currently, they're in areas where I know there will be uh, a lot of does, and I'm trying to parcel out when those does will drop uh, in those particular areas because that's going to help me. Um, November, December, uh, as far as backdating that rut timing to locate where exactly a doe that's coming into estrus will be uh, during, uh, you know, the week that I'm wanting to hunt. So if I can identify when she drops her fawn, I can backdate that to her uh, estrus time. And I know that within that time frame, there's probably going to be a, a, a mature buck finding her and that that's basically what i'm looking for right now now what i'll morph it into uh or kind of kind of transition over the next couple weeks is uh, the next group of cameras that i'll be putting out will be strictly for buck location uh i'll be putting them in areas where i expect um bachelor groups to hold up uh creeks uh shady spots uh thick cover nearby i'm, I'm looking for especially water sources with thick cover nearby. Uh, if I can get close to, uh, you know, not agriculture, but if I can work off of um, where I'm at, I have agriculture close by, but it's still five or six miles away. Uh, but what I found is the, the even the mountain bucks that I'm hunting will travel to that agriculture that can be six or seven miles away. They won't, um, they won't use that as their summer range. They'll just go feed there. And they may make a trip trip back that same day uh, back to their home range. So I'm identifying those travel corridors between them. And, and the easiest way to do that is along the creek bottoms, along the micro drainages, the draws and stuff like that, that, that down into these uh, thicker, lower lying creek bottoms. Man, there's a, there's a ton there that I want to get into. But one of the first things is the, the, fawn thing that's very very interesting that's not something that you hear very often at all so you're putting cameras in places with the sole intent that you're going to get a fawn on camera probably within about a week of when it's born and then you're going to say okay this doe probably came into estrus about this time so then you'll know that about that time within a, a i don't know five day range you need to be in that area because you as long as she makes it you know to this november or whenever the rut is where you're at uh she's going to be coming into estrus yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm doing. And if I can get an area where, I mean, in the mountains, I, I think there, there, you, you can kind of be limited on, um, you can kind of be limited on the amount of good fawning territory you can, that you have. So a lot of times you'll get areas that, that will have those that will, they will kind of team up and they'll have fawns together. I've seen that a lot. And that's not something you see in farmland, things like that, because usually they're separated and segregated. They want to get away from each other. Uh, 
Uh, they don't want to have their fawns overlapping and stuff like that because it brings predators in. But in the mountain country uh, that I hunt, it's it's kind of the fawning, the good fawning uh, terrain and good fawning habitat are, is very very limited. So you can get fawns that'll that'll kind of um, you know or does that'll kind of um, uh, they'll use the same territory to fawn in, and they'll leave in that. They don't they don't they have a tendency not to really to remove their fawns and go have them in a different area than their core they'll just pick a spot that really offers the great habitat the thick cover water the the perf the you know if you got a glade or something like that like switch cane patches uh uh, uh greenbrier thickets uh blackberry thickets things like that well uh, within their home range they'll usually pick that as like good fawning habitat because it's easy to hide and so that's the areas that i'm looking for and then I'll kind of transition those cameras to track those fawns. But I want to know that date that she dropped that fawn within that area because I know if I can track her and I know if there's a couple of does that have dropped fawns in this area. Well, there's two does right there that I know that they dropped fawns within a certain period of time. More than likely, that's going to attract a mature buck, especially two does. And I really am trying to keep track of the, the does that have multiple fawns because the mature bucks will seek those does out above all others yeah that kind of goes into a hunt that we had last year that jacob and i had last year where we feel like we got on some very early estrus does we hadn't hunted this area before and we talked to a lot of local guys yourself included along with several others who when we when we told them about the action that we were having at the time we were having it they're like man you're like a week and a half two weeks early and we it was crazy dude it was wild i mean we had like it felt like every buck on the mountain in there i mean we were consistently seeing bucks we saw multiple mature deer uh, and it was just an action-packed like three or four days of hunting so do you pay like special attention if you if you feel that you found a doe that maybe dropped a fawn like a week or two earlier than all the other does and you're like man if she she's coming in early it's on yeah if i can find that early that first fawn that first fawn is money you you can you can bank on if you can if you can locate the 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 fawn the the doe that drops her fawn the first earliest uh you better pin that you better dial that into your phone you better Whatever you got to do to remember that location, that time, backdate it, because that's going to be the key to your success early season. Because they will, and 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 this played out especially this past year, um, and I didn't recognize it until it had already passed. But um, we had a flurry of activity uh, way outside of the rut uh, of our normal rut, almost three weeks early. And I couldn't figure out what it was. And it was because I didn't have my cameras in there. Uh, in, in a, I hadn't checked my cameras in that area during the summer as often. I pulled a couple cameras in the area. I realized a fawn had been born almost a month before uh, the other fawns in that area. So a doe had come into heat almost three weeks earlier. And that, that piled every mature buck basically into a half square mile area and like i said i didn't catch it until it was the tail end of it and then from that point on the 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 rest of the fawns just or the rest of the does you know went about their normal cycle but that one doe uh basically interrupted every mature buck in the areas 
like travel routine and they all pile into one specific core area and that kind of um, that kind of stuff happens and if you don't know it and uh let's say you're hunting a buck and and all of a sudden he disappears and you don't know where he's at and you 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 know you you've had him on trail camera for all of october and all of a sudden the last week in october he just disappears and and you have no clue what well, more than likely he's 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 moved to an area that he knows that there's a there's a hot doe in and not all of them are on the same exact cycle if you can identify those those early ones man that is that is money right there that's that's more money than having a bunch of them come in because when when you have the bulk of the rut come in and you've got so many does that are coming to estrus there's so much that there's so much less competition um that it it you know in areas that 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 i hunt in you can almost kind of see that trip rut but that initial doe in an area like that uh is is like money in the bank that's awesome dude yeah that happened to us actually twice last year we did that soa hunt in january and i drew the hunt that was like the week before the rut like really kicked off according to the biologists and a lot of other guys who i talked to that hunted the area and uh and the same thing happened on the last day of the hunt we found an estrus doe and all week we'd actually been kind of struggling to find any deer uh and then that last day man we found that one estrus doe and we saw like nine bucks killed two of them i killed one and then jacob killed it was it was wild so yeah that that early rut time frame can be insane like we were even talking about using that in other areas like we might we're talking about going to kansas this year and uh and we're like, man, I kind of want to go to Kansas on like October 25th, you know, because their their rut is going to be like their typical Midwestern rut is going to be that first, second week in November. We're like, man, let's get there and hunt through like Halloween and catch like the very front end of it and see if that, that works out for us. Because you're kind of playing a game where if you go like on November 8th or so, we've had, I mean, you can go and absolutely hit it on the head and have a really good hunt. But we we have buddies who've gone out there and it's like dead that time and they just they missed it for whatever reason and I think that might be a factor in it um, just you know in my overthinking of everything <laughs> but uh, what when it when it comes to putting the cameras out what exactly are you putting the camera on to capture the does and fawns are you just putting it on the edge of that thick stuff maybe on a trail that's coming out of it or what what feature is that camera on that's gonna actually capture a doe on it. And I, I really look for like if I can find grassy areas within thick cover, uh, that seems to be a really uh, a really good a really good area. Uh, so anytime I can run into like a, a like let's say you've got a, an area of thick cover, um, and in the middle of it you've got a small patch of like grass where maybe the trees have died and, it, and it's fallen down, and you get like these grassy areas uh, in the middle of it. That that's that's especially because what I see a lot of, if I capture fawns, it's usually midday. Uh, the, the doe is moving them during the midday, and she's usually transitioning them from, from uh, um, you know, like, like in basically from one shady area to a different shady area uh, so they can thermoregulate. Because I think that's probably their biggest issue uh, when they're first, you know, when they're first born, born is that thermoregulation and, and just keeping them hidden, not letting the, the predators get on them. So I look for those those open areas, and I'm not looking for a large open grassy area. I'm looking for something that might be as big as a, you know, half as big as your living room, you know, and those seem to re, be really really uh, excellent locations. And if I can get them close to a water source. Uh, like a switch cane patch that's right up to, that's buttoned up against a creek or something like that. 
And a lot of times when you get in that area right off of that, you'll get like an open area where it's just kind of brushy grass. And like you may have some larger trees in that area, but it's going to kind of be open. And I like to get right on that transition, uh, not looking into the switch cane or anything like that, but looking in that grassy area. And that, that's kind of what I'm looking for. There's not really anything as far as terrain that kind of drives it. It's more about habitat, you know. Um, but yeah, grassy areas are, are, are number one. And as you, as you're moving along, I guess, into it, another good, uh, good location that I found is, is anywhere that you've got, um, uh, uh, blackberries, um, like not, you, you, they won't be, they won't be growing blackberries, but, uh, if you can find a blackberry thicket, like in thick cover, um, before the, the berries have, have ripened and stuff like that. Uh, those does will really pile into those areas and feed on them. Um, and so that's a good place to do it, too, because it seems like that just hits at just that right moment that a few of them are coming in and they're starting to ripen up. And that's about the time that the does are starting to drop some of their fawns. So that's a, that's another thing that I really transition to just for that just for that sole purpose is to try to capture those first newborn fawns uh that the does are bringing them in to they're following them in to where they're feeding on the blackberries and stuff like that so okay so you're so you'll actually find like a good blackberry patch with a bunch of blackberries in it and what put the camera watching the the blackberries hoping that doe's going to come in there feeding on them yeah yeah that's exactly what i'm doing um and that seems that seems to you know i mean that just seems to work for me for what I've found. Um, uh, usually, like I said, it's just that timing thing that some of those blackberries up here are kind of coming into, you know, starting to get ripe. And, and that's the first thing that those does want to hit. And they seem to just bring those, those, um, their, their fawns that have been born within the last week or so right to those blackberries. They may not feed on them at all, but the does will. And that seems to be a, a, a real key. But like I said, if I had to pick one, it would be the small grassy areas that are that are tucked away in in your um in your the really really thick cover yeah uh anywhere that a duck only bed is is not you know because you typically find those bedded on on ridge points and stuff like that and and you see them avoiding the the those that have fawns they just avoid them with all costs because that's gonna that's gonna attract more eyes so i'm looking more for the really thick cover like you got to dive sometimes into these um, man, I mean, pine tickets and stuff like that, maybe six or seven years old, you may have blowdown areas um, where, you know, you, you've had storms come through, knock trees down, and they'll create these open areas on these steep-facing slopes, like south-facing slopes. You'll get a lot of sparkleberry, and you'll get shrubs and oaks and stuff like that that don't really grow really high. And in that area, you get kind of grasses growing up, and they'll tuck them away into those areas. And that's another, I guess that that would probably be the as far as grassy areas go. That'd be my my main my main one that I'm trying to locate. I guess. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And that man, this is such a such a good strategy because there's a lot of guys that we talk to who have success uh, tracking their does. Basically, uh, West Mo- uh, West Moy's one of them. Uh, he he used to have a doe. We've told the story a bunch of times, but he had a doe that I think she had a double throat patch or or something. She had some very identifiable feature on her. And over the years, he shot like three bucks off the back of her because he knew exactly when she came into estrus. And so he's like, hey, I know I'm going to be in that holler on these days because she's going to be there and there's going to be a buck chasing her. And it worked out for him. And uh, some people probably hear that and they're like, man, like I don't know, I don't even know how to 
get started with that. Maybe they don't have a doe that they can easily identify based off some characteristic or, or maybe they're, they're just now hearing this idea and, and they want to implement it. Well, now's the time to do it, man. Go slap some cameras up like you're talking about, and you can find some fawns this summer and do something that can directly impact how your rut's going to go. So I just, that is such a good subject, man. I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about that until you brought it up, but that's an excellent, excellent idea. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to kill a buck, if you want to kill a buck this year, right now is when you need, you know, right now is your best opportunity to do that. Uh, it's not, it's, you know, I'm not saying you can't do it during rut, but if you can get jump on that curve right now and figure out exactly where that hot doe is going to be when she's going to be when she's going to be coming into estrus or at least have a good idea like at least that gets you in the ballpark instead of just uh you know going by what you know what the maps the rut maps and, say, and stuff like that say uh at least if you do this uh you, you got a real clear idea of what that window is you know instead of just uh kind of taking what the the conservationists what the biologists and all that say that, that it should be you know yeah and those maps though they give you a very granular look at what the rut's going to be and like in areas that i've hunted they've been pretty accurate but when you get into the to the nitty-gritty of when particular does are coming in like that that can be huge for you and you know people say it in different ways but you know there's like the saying like you're kill you kill that buck right now you're just picking him up this fall you know like you you kill him with the scouting and the information that you're gathering you know throughout last season and throughout right now as we're kind of getting ready for this upcoming season and and it's going to pay off this fall hopefully for you um so kind of moving into the bucks then after after you've been monitoring your does and everything what is it like when you shift your cameras to actually start finding some bucks and some bachelor groups? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, again, I'm using that water source, especially during the summer. Uh, so everything I'm going to do is going to be based off of, of creeks, streams, things like that. Um, and then I'm just going to kind of work away from that out into the, to the, to the, um, you know, back out in the forest, basically. Uh, so I'm going to start along the creeks. I'm going to find creek crossings, things like that. I'm going to look for multiple size. The first thing I do, if, I, if I'm if I'm walking into a new area, and, I, and I, that's what I'll be doing this this summer, is walking into a whole new area. It has a couple of, it has a, one creek and a couple of really nice streams that are on it. I'm going to be walking those creeks and those streams looking for multiple size buck tracks uh, and where they're crossing. And I'm just going to be kind of, Almost once I step off the bank into the woods itself, I'm going to be thinking of a place to put a camera up. Actually, if I can, if I can get creek crossings that um, I can tell they've been using multiple days because during the summer their their travel routine just becomes it becomes a routine. Uh, it becomes something that they're that maybe they're not they're not doing the the three or four day loop. Uh, they may be coming into an area every day. Uh, you know, it, it's not uncommon for me to get the same buck using the same trail with his buddies five or six, seven days in a row, uh, just because their summer routine becomes, uh, the, their core, they shrink it down so much, so, so small, I think in this mountainous area, uh, during the summer, just to conserve energy that it all kind of focuses around that water source. Um, and usually wherever you have the water source at, you have the food source, uh, especially in the mountains and stuff like that. Um, so I'm going to kind of work off of that. I'm going to drop a couple cameras on those Creek crossings, and then I'm going to kind of back away and look at the terrain. 
if I can find a micro drainage that I'm that I think they're going up in elevation on, I'm gonna put a couple cameras there, and I'm just gonna kind of adjust from that point on. But I feel pretty confident um, that I can at least get if I can if I can get a get them on camera for a couple of weeks uh, on those creek crossings. I, I'm pretty confident that beyond that. Uh, I can get them on those separate drainages where they're going up in elevation. And then that gives me a good idea of what I need to be transitioning to once we get toward the end of fall. Uh, but initially it's going to be those Creek crossings, uh, the micro drainages, kind of like the, you know, I think we talked about last, last, uh, last year in, in a couple of episodes is those micro drainages uh, in the mountainous terrain, if you can get them to where they're coming down to a creek crossing or down to a bend in a creek or something like that where it pinches them down and it doesn't give them very many options, uh, you're still looking for that, the, the path of least resistance to get them up in elevation to where they bed at and stuff like that. It's going to be the is going to be the key to, to to really, you know, finding those bachelor groups and, and locating. If you can find a good bachelor group, probably more than likely you're going to have a mature buck somewhere in there. So with the micro drainages, could you just expand on that a little bit more, maybe define what a micro drainage is? And then also, is it just any micro drainage or does that micro drainage have to connect to things? Like, should there be something of value up high and down low? Or is it just the feature itself that they're seeking out like a micro drainage to actually travel up? Uh, well, by micro drainage, uh, it, it, like, let's say you have a ridge that's running like uh, northwest to, to southeast. Uh, and, and, it, and it could be, you know, any, any amount of length. It could be a half mile. It could be, you know, two miles. The micro drainages are going to be the little, um, and, and, and you, you really get uh, on topo maps and stuff like that. And even on, on uh, aerial images, it's really hard to, to delineate what they look like without putting boots on the ground. One of the best um, apps I use is CalTopo. They're they're just like they're almost like a ditch carved within the 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 um, within the ridge itself, but the ditch has been widened out, maybe rocky. Uh, it, it may have blowdown stuff like that in it at a period of time. It's kind of opened back up, but they're just small, uh, like I said, almost ditches that go up the side of these ridge faces, um, and that's what I see more often. Uh, in that summer and late summer, early fall, uh, before the, the horns turn, turn hard, that's what I see them traveling up and using uh, to gain elevation. Um, um, you know, like I said, from summer to the time the horns get hard and then they transition to using the, the ridge system itself. But that, that, that little micro drainage, uh, anywhere that water has run off from the ridge itself down to those creek crossings. Um, and th they're not all created the same. Uh, if you can get one that um, doesn't, uh, the ones that I find that, that really have the most, uh, I guess the most success, seeing the most travel, the, the most amount of bucks using them, they are the ones that, like I said earlier, they're, they're almost like at some point in time, they're going to transition into like a, a rocky, scrubby sparkleberry you know you're going to get that low hanging cover that kind of provides overhead cover kind of keeps them shaded uh, anything that kind of gives them an overhead cover as opposed to the open ones that may not have anything around them may just be lined with pine trees or, or, or you know oaks or stuff like that but if you can get them that have some sort of overhead cover that that gives them uh, 
uh, a way to hide underneath all that. They're, they're going to use that uh, nine times out of ten. Okay. Yeah, I actually saw that for the first time last year when I was hunting up near you. I was walking up this mountainside, and it was pretty open. I mean, actually, it was wide open hardwoods. You could see a, a long way through the through these woods, and I was just like, man, why would a buck ever walk through here? You know, I mean, it was remote, so it's not getting that much pressure or anything, but it was just wide open, and I wasn't seeing any sign. And then all of a sudden, I was I was kind of side hilling around, and I came upon one of these little micro drainages, and it was basically like you're talking about. It was a ditch, and it was like six feet lower than everything it was like a six foot little ditch and it was gentle going down and it was kind of flat and there was a little bitty brook going down through the middle of it and then it went back up on the other side and uh it was literally just like a ditch going down the side of the mountain and you couldn't see it really as you were side hilling around you just kind of went right down into it and you could you were like looking over the top of it you know and i dropped down into that thing and man there's a bunch of hazel alder growing in it and it was tore up i'm talking about desolate woods there's nothing and then all of a sudden you get into that drainage and it was rubbed up and down like crazy and i kind of wish i'd have thrown a camera on I, I actually was carrying a camera that day but i was saving it for a scrape that i would, thought i would find oh no yeah if you can find if you can find a micro drainage like that has a hazel alder if it has rhododendron if it has a mountain laurel or something like that choked up in it like i said the the sparkleberry, anything that kind of grows kind of low and gives that that dense overhead cover, man, they just they just they just are drawn to that because they can stand in that. I feel like this is what they use it for because it, it, if if you ever notice when you get into one of those areas, uh, it looks like it looks like they're using it way more than you would think. Uh, and I, I feel like they just get under that and they just hang out like it's cool area, especially during the summer, late summer. It's still hot, even. Even once season has started in October, those areas can really can really uh, can really be hidden gems because it's not something that we're normally going to be scouting. You're not going to be hunting in areas like that, but uh, I feel like they just that that's almost like a thermoregulation area that they can get into. They can it, it provides cover, provides cool. Um, you know, they're not getting beat on by the sun. And I, that, like I said, that, those those areas are that that that's where that's almost like my bread and butter. If I can if I can find a bunch of those on a big ridge system uh, like that, that that kind of separate themselves from the other stuff, you you got it made. The key words I'm hearing here are that that might ha- help somebody who's maybe not in mountainous terrain, but they could probably apply it. Would be the thermoregulation. It's it's lower. It's cooler. Uh, and and the bucks. It it really checks a lot of boxes for the bucks because just their survival instinct they want to stay low and out of sight so they're going to stay in those smaller features and then also if they're kind of thicker that provides security and then they're going to be cooler as well so i mean it could really apply even outside of like a, a mountainous area wouldn't you think oh yeah definitely i mean any any, any kind of terrain like that's going to have those those kind of areas that that you know didn't have to have a huge terrain rise or fall like i've, I've hunted in south alabama where there's you know it, it's it, it's not it's not as dramatic, as, you know. The, the mountainous areas are not dramatic, but they, they still terrain. But you still find them. You still find the same kind of um, uh, activity in the same type of areas. Like it may just be a group of, like you said, along those creek bottoms in, in South Alabama and South Georgia. It's going to be that hazel alder, and it's going to grow with vines. You're going to have honeysuckle stuff like that that just gnarls up in it, and they'll almost just bury up in it. And they may not go out the other end. Like I noticed here. Um, 
they may just go to where that heads off and stops in the ridge because above it may be completely open woods. And what they usually do is go up in that area when it kind of V's out and kind of, kind of, kind of, uh, comes to a head, it may be 30 feet below the, the ridge top and they may bed right there, or they may just, um, stage in that area. And then they'll come, you know, they may stay there till dark, uh, until the thermal start dropping and then they'll drop back down into the creek bottoms at that point in time. And I think that's an area that, that you can key on not only in the time period we're talking about, but outside of rut, uh, that that's a, a an area that I'm really you know kind of interested in in doing a lot more work in. That's really really intriguing. I was going to ask about bedding this time of year as well. Is the bedding this time of year something that you're paying a lot of attention to? And are you do you ever throw cameras over beds or in very close proximity to beds? Not really. I, I've 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 kind of shied away from it because I've realized that in all the time that I've been doing this. I've been looking for, I guess, um, needle in a haystack that, that's a buck bed. You know, like I can identify it. I can tell you what it's going to look like. But it is so random in these mountainous areas uh, that it's just, it's hard to identify. It's hard to quantify. Uh, well, wh- why is he bedding here during this period of time? You know, wind-based bedding, site-based bedding, stuff like that. So, um, you know, as far as as far as bedding during, that, during the summer, especially, I'm, I'm not at all concerned with it because they, they they'll tendency to just bed wherever they can you know wherever they get an opportunity at you know basically going back to creek crossings a little bit uh you're you're looking for a good creek crossing that has i'm assuming like you said multiple sets of tracks i'm assuming going both directions maybe maybe like multiple age tracks you know like oh here's a really really fresh one and here's one that looks kind of degraded it might be a couple days old and and you're looking for consistent travel i guess yeah, I am. Yeah, if I can find them that where I can tell that they've been traveling multiple days in a row by multiple bucks, uh, and you know, I'm trying to identify the buck tracks more than the does. I mean, you know, you can usually on those creek crossings, you got soft ground, so you can identify tracks easily. But yeah, if I can find those creek crossings that that have um, weeks worth of uh, of use, that's easily identifiable. Uh, that's what I'm going to bank on rather than the one that looks like maybe, well, maybe he's crossed here for a day or two and it, maybe it's been another week or two till they've crossed again. And a lot of times what I'm doing, once I get off that Creek crossing is I'm looking for the punch marks, uh, in the, in the, in the, in the, the leaves up the, up the ridges and, uh, I get off out of that like thick vegetation area that's along the Creek bottoms and get off in, into the, the woods itself. I'm looking for those punch marks. And um, what I what I tend to notice once I get onto the punch marks and the leaves is your younger buck that uh, they tend the 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 younger bucks the 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 yearling stuff like that they'll tend to kind of group up together, and so if you see punch marks and it looks like uh, you know you're looking back at it and uh, it's you know four or five foot wide and you see a bunch of punch marks. Uh, that's more than likely your 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 younger bucks that are kind of grouped up together, and usually uh, downwind of those um, on the on the leeward side the the leeward side of that uh, is usually you will see one or two punch marks, and it's a it's that's your older mature buck that's kind of you know he's kind of he's kind of falling behind the others, uh, letting them letting them set the pace, and they'll do that. 
um, even during the summer, the mature bucks will. They will. They usually will trail up the the big group of older of younger uh, bachelor bucks and see them roll into your area. If you have uh, like a particular area you're trying to capture them in, what you'll usually see is that that uh, that first group that comes in that comes through is probably going to be your younger bucks, and you're going to have that older buck kind of tagging along behind. And that's the one you're kind of identifying uh, to try to track him. And that that's how I do it. So when it comes to actual uh, trail camera placement on these, are you putting a camera? Because I know that you put multiple cameras like in one small area because you, you don't, you're trying to catch like everything in that area. So you might put three or four cameras around one of those creek crossings, I'm assuming. Are you putting a camera on the creek crossing and then maybe a camera further away, like where those punch holes are going to? Uh, like what, what's that, what's a typical setup like that look like for you? But usually I start off with one on the creek crossing itself and I may put it to where it's looking in the creek itself. Um, uh, because sometimes you can catch deer that, that aren't really crossing from one, they, they're not crossing from one side to the other. It may be crossing, uh, you know, 30 yards down the creek, coming up the creek and then crossing here. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to put it to see the actual creek crossing itself and the creek itself. And once I back off of that, I'm spreading them out. Uh, if if I have a real high confidence that I'm that I'm looking at a, a really mature buck, uh, usually within 100 yards of that uh, of that creek crossing, once I'm off of the creek crossing, uh, I'm looking at the punch marks, and I may spread three or four cameras out, running there just trying to capture whatever's coming through that whole entire area. So I may want to I may want to cover like a fifty yard wide or or sometimes seventy five yard wide depending on what type of uh, habitat is in there, and then I'm just kind of backtracking from that point, just moving the cameras back uh, into I'm trying from that point on I'm trying to find a terrain feature, uh, uh, like I said the micro drainages or or sometimes you know it, in in the steeper terrain uh, if you've got a fallen tree that is on the side of a steep bluff or something like that, a steep ridge side. Um, it doesn't matter north face and south face and any, any as long as you get, um, as long as you're getting some sort of movement, if I can find a tree that's blown down, um, the lower end of that tree where it's fallen, the, the top, uh, whether it's up the ridge or down the ridge, that's a really good place because it, it didn't, it just seems to draw deer's attention to it. Uh, and it'll draw does, bucks, everything. They just seem to want to go around that. So if I can find that, if that's if that's something within close proximity, that that will be one that I'll immediately go put a camera on that uh, on that that brush top, and then I'll work off of that. But that initial uh, hundred yards out, I'm gonna put three or four cameras out. I'm gonna try to capture whatever's coming through that area, and I'm just gonna backtrack from that point. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, and I, that's something that again is just very, very interesting to me because you're you're really crossing your T's and dotting your I's and making sure that you're not leaving a stone unturned. Because a big criticism of trail cameras, and one thing you got to be careful of with them is you're looking at a very small area, like where that trail camera is facing and what it can actually see, and it can be as simple as that buck just walking right behind literally right behind the tree that your camera's on and i know that's something we've talked about with paul and paul's mentioned that as well where he's he's he does a lot of uh of uh tracking for bucks so he lives up in the northeast and he'll do snow tracking but also dry ground tracking where he finds a buck's track 
and follows it for a long ways until he runs into the deer. And it's interesting hearing him tell stories about that, where he's been following a buck that winds up being a big mature buck. And as he's following this buck's tracks, he passes like three or four other guys' trail cameras. And the buck is like avoiding these trail cameras. You know, it's going on the other side of the tree because at some point it's noticed that trail camera and it doesn't like it. And so it's actively avoiding it. And so those guys who have those cameras out there are like, man, I got one picture of him. Or maybe they never got a picture of him. They just have no idea that he's there all the while he's walking five yards from their camera and they're just not getting him. So you're trying to account for that and you're trying to capture that deer, you know, in, you know, multiple different ways in a spot that you think he's traveling through. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't, if you're, if you're working off of one camera and do it, trying to do this, I mean, you're going to, you're going to work yourself to death moving that camera around. Uh, and I, I know it, you know, cameras are expensive, um, and it, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, it, to do it this way, you gotta, you gotta be willing to, uh, to kind of pay to, to play in a, in kind of a, I guess a, a kind of a way, but yeah, if you're, if you're running off of one camera, trying to backtrack deer using one or two cameras, uh, it's almost impossible because I can guarantee you that deer, uh, that buck, mature buck is, is going to see your camera and he, he's, it, you know, it, the, depending on where he is in his in his uh, i guess feeling of his travel of how safe he is is going to depend on whether that camera stops him in his tracks and he never comes to there again or he completely avoids it for months at a time or he just completely says well that's that's normal and you know, I, I'm, that doesn't bother me, and, and continues using it. Uh, so that that that's all buck dependent on on what his comfort level with where he is. Um, so you're you're just kind of taking that chance, and I, I just don't want to take that chance. I, I would rather if I had three or four cameras, instead of just peppering them across the the landscape, I would rather cluster them in an area that I feel confident that there's a buck using. Uh, and I can at least acknowledge, yes, he's coming through here at this period of time. And it's not, a, you know, it's not just like, I feel like if, if I had four cameras and I just pepper them across the landscape, just on, on areas that I think a buck is coming through, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't feel confident at all that I could catch that, that buck um, with the same, you know, the same regularity as I could is if, if I knew that he was traveling through an area and I can put all three or four of those cameras in that area that I'm pretty confident he's using. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls. But they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the, the success call. And you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spurmaster, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP20 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable. Like, everybody's jaws were dropping. Like, when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke. And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys, if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K-chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at truelockchokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with true lock. Yeah. And it goes into, there's a lot of nuance of analyzing your trail cam data because uh, for a long time, I mean, really until pretty recently, uh, probably until I started talking to you, I'd put cameras out and I'd be like, Oh, cool buck. And then I, I might do a little bit more analyzing to try to learn more like, okay, what wind direction was he coming through here on? But, but, uh, the, the aspect of looking at that trail cam data and breaking it down deer by deer, because one thing I noticed last year is I had buck, I had a bunch of bucks on two community scrapes that I had cameras on, and eventually pretty much every regular buck that was coming through there noticed my camera, and some of them came back, some of them didn't, but uh, they all acted different around it. You know, especially the younger deer, they didn't really care. They would look at it. They'd come lick it, smell They'd nose it. I got videos of like little uh, two and a half year old bucks like nosing my camera. But then those bigger deer, they would look at that camera and then they, they'd probably be gone. You know, I might get one or two more pictures of them, but I always wonder like, man, if I'd put two or three more cameras out, I wonder if he was just avoiding that camera. He was still using that terrain feature and maybe winding that scrape somehow. Uh, but he just wasn't walking to it. So that that's a really, really interesting aspect. And I think it also highlights the point of if you are running trail cameras and let's say you're running three or four trail cameras kind of spread out to not get so caught up on what is or is not on that camera. You know, if you get the buck on camera, that's great. If you don't, 
okay. You know, that doesn't mean he's not there, especially if you've got good sign in the area. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, you know, it, it you can't allow three or four cameras, you know, spread out over an area to tell you yes or no that that area is, is worth uh, your time, you know. Uh, and that's just from my own experience. I've put cameras out like that. I, I've had to because I've, you know, I've not had the, I've not had the confidence in one spot, I guess, to poor centralize, you know, my cameras. So I would kind of uh, take a ridge side and I would kind of pepper the cameras out. And if I caught a buck in, in, in that area, you know, yeah, that would give me information. Yeah, there is a buck there. But that's about all it did. It didn't. It didn't tell me anything else until I did more investigation, moved cameras around and stuff like that to kind of get a better uh, grasp of what his travel was like. So that's why I just kind of went to the whole like I'm, I'm going to, and it's kind of almost a, a learning experience from a buck that I, I killed of several years ago that kept avoiding my cameras, even though I I knew he was there. Uh, I eventually killed him, but he taught me a big lesson that that I can't. I can't hunt off of one camera data. That that just is not is not uh, it's you know it's 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 not enough information you know and, and and I don't recommend it for anybody to 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 take one camera and and go out there and and try to hunt off of that data. You're you're going to be uh, you know ha- mo- more times than not you're going to be disappointed in what what you're you know what you're what you're trying. Uh, out of curiosity, with how many trail cameras you put out, how many are just duds where you're not getting bucks on them like at all? Uh, like what percentage of your trail cameras are like popping hot and you're getting bucks on them consistently, if you had to guess? Uh, probably less than 50%, maybe around 40%. Okay. Well, that's pretty good. So, I mean, 40%. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've got. I mean, no, no, I'd say two years ago that was probably 20%. You know. Uh, another thing that I really am interested in is licking branches slash scrapes uh that's a big subject of what we talked about with you last year and that's been my thing over the years in the summer something that i found that really worked for me because you know hunting a lot of public ground here you can't put corn out you can't do minerals or anything like that no kind of attractant uh and especially in the summer it's like well how do you get your buck inventory and, and a lot of people don't even you know don't mess with it they don't bother but i like to have some kind of idea of what's in the area and uh, a couple of years ago, I started finding community scrapes and learning more about scrapes. And I've had really good luck in the summertime with the right kind of scrape, putting a camera on it in like June and having bucks work that licking branch in full velvet. They'll come by and hit it. Does will come by and hit it. You know, it's not like right before the rut where it's just getting hammered like every day or whatever, but pretty often they're coming by and checking that thing and it's a really good way to do buck inventory i've found so do you use that in the summertime like what are your thoughts on that for summertime buck inventory yeah i mean i I definitely i definitely do i've got several uh several you know community scrapes like that that i use um and again i use the same principle that i do with you know during the summer that i do with uh with my buck hubs and stuff like that is i'm always running multiple cameras around those locations because i see the same i see the same kind of uh activity with those summertime community scrapes that i do with uh the rut based scrapes and that's uh scent checking from you know downwind or upwind uh visual checking uh so i'm i'm always doing those and i have probably five that i that I'll keep at least four or five cameras on. Um, and that's kind of what I'm, 
you know, the new area that I'm going into that I'm going to be trying, I'm going to, I'm going to try to establish some, some scrapes. So it'll be interesting to see if that kicks off, but I definitely do that. And I treat them just like I do, uh, just like I do my primary scrapes, uh, and buck hub scrapes, uh, during rut, I'm, I'm going to put, you know, one camera on the scrape itself. And then I'm going to try to identify those, um, those areas around it that, um, that, Bucks would naturally come to to either scent check or visually check that scrape. Okay, you you said that you're looking to establish some community scrapes. So you're so you're doing mock scrapes on this new place. Is that what that is? Yeah, I'm I'm doing mock scrapes. I've really the the, the I've got like I said I've got five right now that I'm that I'm that I that I'm, that I'm about to put these a bunch of cameras out on them because they'll start getting. It seems like it seems like to me. Uh, that once the fawns start dropping, that's when those bucks, uh, and that's just, I don't, I don't know if it has anything, I don't know if it's correlation or anything, or if it's just that time of year, but that is about the time that they start really uh, using that, uh, those, um, those scrapes is that, that early June, late May through the, through the middle of June, July, and they'll continue to use those scrapes. But it seems like that's the kickoff point. So I definitely want to have my cameras out. Uh, prior to that, so I want to have them out in those those mock scrape areas. But yeah, five of them, and three of those are actually mock scrapes that I started and had tremendous amount of success with. Okay, what are you doing to look for? Because again, the reason I ask this kind of goes back to my own curiosity. Uh, the area I'm planning on putting some cameras out this Saturday, I haven't actually been to yet, uh, and I, I expect to find some scrapes in there just because of how the terrain sets up, which is a whole nother podcast. But if you're going to either look for or establish a community scrape, what what's the criteria for the area? Because it's not like you're just doing that wherever you find deer tracks or whatever. Like there's, I'm assuming it's going in a very specific spot for it to be successful. Yeah, and and, and like a like those areas, I do I do really like I like the uh, the old logging road aspect. If, but but I don't like the ones that are that are I, I like the fire break, that's what I call them. They're they're different from the logging roads. They're fire break. For uh, maybe you know forty years ago, they come in, they burned an area, they had a wildfire or something like that, and they've they plowed out um, you know some some fire breaks and stuff like that. I find them in those areas, especially when I can get those in a saddle or something like that on a ridge point uh, where. Maybe you've got a you've got a, a ridge one running north south, and then you've got almost like a T where you got two smaller ridges coming off of it, and it, it kind of forms that saddle. I like them in that area, especially if you can get kind of a thicker cover, uh, and you got those micro drainages that are coming up to them. Uh, I really like that, but I really like those 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 um, those like I said fire breaks and stuff like that in the area that I'm I'm in the mountainous area. You'll get a lot of those anywhere. If I can get one of the, the the one that's producing the most for me and produced last summer, the, the I mean, and it, it really blew up as far as the mock's great, is I put this one, uh, I got a large ridge, and I, and I call it a dominant ridge. It, it goes up to about 1,500 feet in elevation, and it's got about six uh, secondary ridges that, that come off of it. Well, I picked the longest uh uh, ridge point that came off of it and that ridge point goes out about 600 yards and right where it meets uh that um that main the dominant ridge point 
I put a I put a uh, uh, a box scrape right there, and probably forty or fifty yards away from it was a big area of blowdown. It probably covered seven or eight acres, and it was probably fifteen twenty year old, and it had grown back up and it's just not nasty gnarly stuff, you know. But the rest of it was kind of open timber, uh, and I put it right at that base of that um, where it met that. Um, dominant reach point and i mean i absolutely captured uh, untold amount of number of bucks that were using that during the last summer and some of my i never saw them you know they came through and i never saw them again they they didn't hang around during the during the, the they didn't come back during the rut uh they just passed that area during the summer i guess um, um scent checking each other uh and it, it has maintained that level uh, even even after even after the season was over, that 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 and I sent y'all a bunch of videos of that that <laughs> of that um, um, of that uh, particular scrape. I'm pretty sure y'all y'all mm-hmm. are fun, uh, probably well versed in what that one has produced. Yeah, yeah, a lot of big old bucks on that scrape for sure. Yeah, that's something, yeah. man. That, yeah. that I love that subject and. It's something that you you can find in the summer, and I'm convinced that I found probably three or four of them when I scouted this area last May, uh, just the vicinity of where I'm planning on going. Um, I'm going a little bit deeper this time on Saturday, but uh, I wish I'd thrown cameras on them last year. But when you're out in the woods, let's say, like right now, you're out turkey hunting, and you run across one of them, what does it look like right now? You know, like what, what is it that when you're looking through the woods and, and you pick up on it, you're like, oh, here's a scrape over here. What is it about the scrape this time of year where you're like, okay, yeah, I should throw a camera on this. Cause it, cause it's not going to look like it does in the fall. Obviously there's going to be leaves in it and it's going to, you know, the limbs are going to be sprouting and it's going to not look like this hot scrape, you know, like it is in the rut. But what are some things that tip you off that, Hey, I need to, I need to throw a camera on this. I mean, like you said, like you said, it's gonna have it's gonna have leaves in it right now, and it's gonna you know, but if it's got if it's got several groups of punch marks in the dirt in the leaves itself, uh, that tells me that it, it that it's something I need because if you go to any other scrape, you're not gonna see that. But if that scrape, if they're investing enough time to come to it to stand in it, it you're you're that that's gonna be the first cue is is going to be the tracks that are fresh in that soil and, and if the soil looks like it's kind of kind of been you know what i saw a lot of last summer is the and during the early summer especially is the the, the does and bucks would come into the area and they into that scrape and they may just stand in it you know they may stand there for 10 or 15 minutes just in the scrape itself uh they may pee in it stuff like that you, you know you get in the summertime uh, you can't really see that, but, but if I can find those punch marks in it, that tells me that a doe or a buck is taking the time uh, to come investigate that, and that's going to be clue number one because you're just not going to find that with any other scrape. Uh, the other scrapes, the primary scrapes, they're not going to be used at all. Uh, you're not going to see any any movement into them at all until you get into that pre-rut time. But if you can find a scrape this time of year, that has uh has 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 fresh tracks in it uh or if i can find fresh scat near it um the fresh tracks fresh scat near it i mean that especially if it's buck buck poop i mean that's you know you you know that that 
I mean, that's that's about as good a confirmation as you can get. But it's going to be those tracks in there right now. And, it, and it, like you said, it does depend on terrain. If it looks like something in an area like I described earlier that would be a, a spot, and, and sometimes you just know, you know, th- this is a buck area. Um, and you got that cover nearby. you got that, that terrain feature. When it all comes together and you see those fresh tracks in there, it's like, yeah, this this – is going to warrant me dropping a camera right here for sure okay that makes sense. a lot of times they they won't yeah a lot of times they won't chew on those uh those overhead licking branches they may just you know if, if you can get them and, and it, let's say you find something that's got tracks in it and the overhead licking branch it may not be chewed up or gnarled up or anything like that but it may have leaves knocked off of it if it looks like some sort of damage has been done to it that tells me they've probably been rubbing it because they don't have horns right now uh, that's not really going to be something you're going to see until, uh, you know, and they're going to avoid really kind of doing any damage with their horns at all until they, uh, until they drop velvet. So you, you're going to see any kind of leaf movement that's been knocked off. If that has fewer leaves than the rest of them and you have the, the tracks and the scrape itself, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be a spot right there. Yeah, absolutely. When you're putting cameras on that spot too, I'm kind of imagining this from the perspective of, some of these scrapes I found last year that I should have thrown cameras on. Uh, I'm thinking of like throwing a camera right on the scrape, you know, at, at some angle that sees the scrape where I'm watching that. And then maybe two other cameras like 40 or 50 yards away, maybe maybe facing back towards the scrape to maybe catch deer that are swinging around it. Is that kind of what you do uh, to kind of cover the whole area? I guess it, it would kind of be ter- terrain dependent, but I, I'm usually putting one directly on the, the scrape. And I, and when I put it directly on the scrape, I don't ever put it at eye level over the scrape. Uh, that, that, you know, there, there's just too many dangers with that. I don't, I, I try to get it elevated way above the, uh, uh, the scrape itself. Um, I, I want it to where I've got to climb up and get us, get a, a climbing stick, get up, you know, 10, 12 feet above the scrape, and I'm going to look it right down into the scrape. As far as on the peripheral, uh, I tend to find that I I look for those, like I said, the, the punch marks. You, usually those scrapes have a designated trail that, that comes into them, and that's usually your does traveling through. Uh, and usually somewhere off of that, you will find the buck trail. Uh, few punch marks is, you know, he may not be using the same exact trail, um, every time, but you'll have an area where he's, he's traveling into. And, and I, I, I try to do the exact same thing there. I'm trying to look for if I can find a, a, an area that kind of forces him to, to have to come through something. If I can find a brush top uh, or something like that, maybe a blow down stump or something like that, it kind of draws his attention. Uh, I'm going to start there. And it's uh, most of the time I'm looking from the scrape away instead of looking from the, from into the scrape, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm facing away from the scrape, like trying to get whatever's Cause a lot of times he may not, uh, um, he may not come to the camera site to, to trip. If you're facing to the camera, he may not, he may see the camera and stay behind it, but you may just get enough. If you're facing from the camp, from the scrape out to him, uh, to where, uh, it's too late you know, he's already got there and the cameras caught him and then he can make a decision whether he feels comfortable with it or not. And, and usually, um, what you'll see there is you'll kept, you, you know, you've done wrong if you never see him again, you know, 
then you then you then you got to move that camera somewhere else. You know, so it's just a cat and mouse game at that point in time. Okay, I got you. That makes sense. Uh, another question I got, which I also want to ask about, you know, checking the cameras, what kind of cameras you use, all that good stuff uh, towards the end. But um, another thing I wanted to ask about was as you're monitoring these bucks throughout the year, throughout the, the summer, what kind of shift are you seeing? Like like if you're finding a buck, let's say, let's say you find a bachelor group this summer that you're really interested in. Maybe there's like two really good bucks in it. I mean, what are the odds that they stick around in that area? And the reason I ask this, like in this context, is like we all know that they'll relocate. A lot of them relocate. Uh, but sometimes, especially with the leaf drop down here, we've had it to where we found bucks and we've had them on camera pretty consistently. And then fall happens, the leaf drop happens, and they we completely lose them. And then we end up killing the buck like right in that exact same area like he never left but he just quit coming in front of that camera like he shifted his pattern a little bit so uh, like what do you do to kind of account for that and try to figure out like did this buck actually leave or did he just slightly shift what he's doing and my cameras are just facing the wrong direction yeah that's exactly it i I, i'll be honest with you i haven't i have caught more bucks that come in that i've that i've lost bucks that i couldn't track so, I, in other words, I've got a lot more that have came into the area than I have that I've lost the ones that I already knew they were there. Uh, the ones I knew there, it was simply a matter of them. They 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 didn't relocate. They just they just readjusted their travel basically, and it's almost like you do it on a dime. Uh, it, it's it's an overnight switch with them. Uh, and if you're not anticipating it, it's almost like yeah, you you can really the first time I noticed it was probably five years ago and it, it was like snap your finger and they're no longer there. They're like ghosts in the woods. What I do is I, I, I start out by just adjusting my camera slightly. And if I don't catch him, because they're still using the same terrain, like it, that really doesn't change that much until it, until you get into the rut and it really, it really expands. But until you get to that point, their movement is is not that much different it's not like they've abandoned this area it just may mean that they move from this ridge side to the opposite ridge side or they may have transitioned from using this drainage to the one right to the to the left of it you know that has a little more cover now uh, the leaf drop makes a huge difference uh, once you get to leaf drop once you get to say 40 or 50 percent leaf drop all bets are off. I mean, it really is like you, you completely, the, the hard horn stuff doesn't really, to me, it's easier to track them because I can usually adjust by 50 or so yards and, and catch them. That leaf drop is one where, man, it is like you get to that, that tipping point, And once you get to that tipping point, everything in the woods, it's like you just flip the script on them immediately. And that's what can really throw you for a loop. And, and what I try to do is, is with my cameras is I try to, I guess, preempt that. So I'm putting my cameras in areas that I kind of already have an idea that this is where they're going to move into. And if I can catch them one or two times, then I can kind of work off that. But it's when you don't catch them those one or two times and you're chasing them, uh, trying to find them, 
uh, man, that that can that can really you know that can drive you up the wall backwards. You know, because you it's just a head scratcher sometimes. But yeah, I, I don't typically lose the bucks. I typically gain more than I lose, and that's just because I don't. I guess I, I've I've learned not to kind of go. Well, he's left because I don't. Uh, he's not here anymore. So I'm just gonna pull my camera because he can't be. You know, he's gone. You know, yeah. I think that's what a lot. That's that's what my buddies do. Well, he's not long. He, he, you know, this day I never saw him again for a week. I just pulled my camera. You know, and I went to a whole different area. You know, and that that's really that's kind of a knee jerk reaction when you could probably just shift your camera slightly. You know, twenty or thirty, forty yards, fifty yards, and you're you're probably gonna get right back on him. You know. Mm-hmm. How much of this informs your early season bow hunting? Because, man, we get requests a lot for early season bow hunting content because, uh, you know, the conversation shifts to the rut a lot because that's kind of – that's when most people kill big bucks. And it's honestly very difficult to find people who are consistently successful early season. And it's something I'm interested in because the guys who I have found who are very successful early season talk about it like – it's just as good as the rut. You know, if you play your cards right and, and you do your homework and and you've scouted that you can have a lot of luck. So what is your view on using these cameras all summer leading up to the early season where maybe open a week of bow season, you're feeling confident that you could maybe slip in and get one of these bucks? Well, I mean, it, it, it basically last year did. And I know y'all kind of were along the ride. One bug that I had pretty much targeted, and I don't know how many run-ins with him that I had in that early first three week of season last year, I think I had him within I had him within bow range at least four times. Uh, just never could close the deal. I could have killed if I had a crossbow. I could have killed him, and he was a 150, 160, you know, upper upper or middle one fifties. I guess you could say. If I hadn't of if I didn't have the the data on him uh, in that late summer phase, I would have I would have been completely out of the game. But he basically just adjusted his summer pattern slightly ever so slightly he, he just basically started he started using he was using basically the same uh area that he had been using but now he started using in in during daylight especially those last last hour of daylight first hour of daylight in the morning he started using um small terrain features that you that 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 he had not used at all during the summer uh like ditches anywhere that water like that that was one thing i was thinking about today that that i really didn't pay attention to that i think a lot of people need to is last year uh and this happens a lot is uh we don't notice uh changes in our well it it can come up on you quick you don't notice like last year we had a drought it was a mini drought basically we didn't get any rain in september october instead of um recognizing that early on um which I, I kind of did and kind of kept on this deer a little bit. I didn't, I didn't put enough emphasis on it. Um, I put more emphasis on food source instead of that water source. And it really come back to bite me in the end because the deer were, were basically pulled up on the water source and they weren't really worried about the food sources at that point in time. But had I realized that early enough and, and really paid attention to my camera data, uh, to realize that, that that it was the water that was driving that was the driving force for all their movement instead of a food source, uh, it would have it would have kept me in the game a lot more. But yeah, it, it, that early season is a is a, man. If you can if you can re- realize that your summer patterns 
they continue to play out in that early bow season, especially if your season opens up, say, first of October into September. They're still on that summer pattern. It once that once those horns are hard, they've just adjusted a little bit. They probably split a little bit. Of course, they split. Uh, you'll see your bachelor groups. What I've noticed this is this: what happens? Your younger bucks, say your yearlings, two-year-olds, they will completely, it's it, they will vanish almost. They may relocate to a completely different area. Your two and a half, maybe some two and a half, three and a half, four and a half year olds, they will almost pair up in that early bow season. And your most mature buck will completely separate. He'll segregate altogether. And I think they're working out the pecking order of how everything's going during this period of time. And more than likely that most mature buck is not going to deviate. He's not going to flip the script immediately like the younger bucks will. Um, I think the, the testosterone levels are, ra- are really ramping up in the in the mature buck, and they're feeling almost like they're they're being pushed out of their home range. And that that mature buck is probably at that point in time setting up his uh, core movement areas uh, for pre rut. So they're still on a really a really easy pattern to, to kind of get a hold of. It's just you have to adjust your thinking off of that uh, summer summer look more into okay. Now he's 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 kind of traveling around the doe groups stuff like that, and he's kind of moved his his travel just ever so slightly. It doesn't move very much, but definitely that early season. If you can just stick with your your game plan from summer and just adjust the movement a little bit and add in a little more terrain features and pay attention to, to the to the kind of if you have if you're having a drought if you're not having a drought uh food sources that are coming in it's going to just going to play a, a much bigger part man that's that's some good stuff that and that fires me up and like we're gonna have to again just do more podcasts on all this because there's a lot to there's just like an endless amount of stuff to dig into here get to a point of of wrapping up, I, I want to throw a curveball at you, and let's just say that that you don't have your your massive arsenal of cameras that you have. Let's say that that uh, I took all your cameras and I gave you ten cameras to use this summer. What what would your strategy be with those ten cameras? Is then you like what are you looking for? How often are you checking slash moving them? Uh, st- like just stuff like that. What would your strategy be? Man, I mean, after seeing how well it paid off. Last year, I would uh, my strategy would be to find the early the early fawns. Uh, that would that would be what I would bank on because I feel like that's that gives you if, if you could if you could identify those early fawns. So that's what I would kind of be. That's where I would that's where I would go. Uh, if I if I had a little bit of previous information, like the year before, if something happened, like 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 this past year, where I where I found an early fawn, early early doe that come in estrus. But yeah, that that's what I'm going to do. It, if I only had ten cameras, I'm going to go into those those areas that I'm expecting to have um, to have does that are going to be dropping fawns. I'm going to identify them, and once I do that, I'm immediately going to switch those ten cameras onto finding a bachelor group that's that's, that's nearby, and I'm going to I'm going to try to peel off a couple of the mature bucks in that bachelor group, and I'm going to hope and pray that I've that I've done my homework right, and once that that first doe that I've that I've identified is coming into estrus. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on her, and I'm just gonna hammer him until he comes into range. You know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have his his uh, his core and his movements down to where I know 
uh, once she comes into estrus, I'm going to be there waiting. Uh, I love it. By the way, when do you make that switch from fawns to bucks? Like like around here in Alabama, like we have a bunch of different ruts, but w- would that be like, I guess, sometime in July or maybe June after the fawns have dropped? Yeah, by June 4th, I'm, I'm moving off of that. I figure that a bulk of them for this area have, 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 have been dropped. And that, that's typically what I see is that middle of June here, the end of June. Once I get to July fourth, uh, I'm 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 abandoning and I'm abandoning that altogether. And all those cameras and stuff are going back to my bachelor groups. And, and then I'm just I'm just chasing them the rest of the time. I'll probably actually morph those or transition those cameras. Uh, not so much. They may go into pre rut. Like I'm I'm already preparing for that. Even during the summer, I'm starting to look at that early season, so that when they do do that switch. Uh, say in, in late August, early September, when they're starting to turn and they're starting to kind of use those areas, it, you can kind of identify in late August, early September, those, the areas that the bucks are going to start using uh, in that early October time frame. They won't use them. They'll use them periodically. So they'll start almost like they're scouting their areas that they're going to start using once those that once that velvet drops. Uh, so that's that's more than likely what I'm transitioning all of my cameras that are that been on my my does and my fawns. I'm gonna transition them in that I'm already anticipating, uh, you know, what's gonna be happening in that that late September, early October timeframe. I guess. Okay, I got you. And with that, I know with the amount of cameras you have right now, you you're leaving some that so. 365 days or more if you just had 10 cameras and you were just going off of those what would be like the interval that you would be checking those cameras like are you going to do it bi-weekly or weekly or well what's kind of your criteria if you're like wanting to move and really identify some deer without putting too much pressure on them though you're, you're kind of in a catch-22 with especially if you're not running saver cameras uh it, it, you know what i what i have tended to notice is they adapt more to more regular checking than they do if you only come in once a month if you only check your cameras once a month it seems like that does more harm than if you come in every six or seven days uh i seem to see that sweet spot of like every seven to eight days is is what i'm trying to check mine when i'm really trying to hone in my 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 uh, my data. Uh, if it's not the cameras that I, if it, if I just had 10 cameras and I'm just trying to keep up with that data, I'm going to check them about probably every eight days. Uh, that, that seems to be that sweet spot. Anything longer than that, it seems to, they don't get as accustomed to it and it becomes more of a, you know, if you wait and do it every month, it like, it, it just causes way, way too much distraction for them. Whereas they, they kind of get used to it. If you can start them out early enough, uh, on that that schedule, it just doesn't seem to have as much effect, even though it it should seem like it's the opposite, but it, it's really not. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense, you know, if you're going in there that much, they get used to it and they kind of learn to avoid you, I guess, and they're just, you know, yeah. it, especially if you're making yourself kind of patternable. I got we we talked to a uh, uh, Rustin Johnson and. Uh, Arkansas and he actually talked about doing the same thing where he's like man when I'm going to check cameras I've got my phone in my chest pocket blaring some Tyler Childers or something I'm being loud walking through the way and I'm like letting them know that I'm coming so they can get out of the way you know and they can slip out and be like ah I avoided that guy you know you're not because I always I 
when I go walk to the woods and I'm scouting, I almost feel better when I don't see any deer. Cause like whenever I walk and I've done this a couple times over the years, when I walk up and I just like turn a buck inside out where I've walked right up on this thing and he blew out from up under my feet, I always feel worse about that. Cause I'm like, Oh man, I just scared the crap out of that. Like there was no doubt what I was. I got right up on him. You know, like he probably feels like I just almost killed him, you know, and he, and he didn't get out on his terms. He just had to like blow up and get out of there. And I, I, I kind of agree. I feel like that might actually do more damage than if you're, if you're kind of letting them avoid you. Yeah, there's definitely, if you, I I mean, I can attest to that. I can guarantee you that that is the case without a doubt. I have, I have been, I have been through these woods enough checking these cameras that if you are able to walk up on a, on a buck in his bed in an area that he feels safe in, you can pretty much eliminate that, that bed, that area from his his vocabulary for the next six months. But if you can walk through the woods, not stealthily, <laughs> I don't, I do the same he's talking about. I, I, I don't, I don't blare music, but I'm not trying to hide that I'm in the woods. I'm not stalking through the woods, trying to kill a deer. But, but deer recognize danger, but a lot better than we give them credit for. Uh, and they recognize things that are not dangerous to them way less than we give them credit for uh we we think that they can that that they can't delineate what's causing stress to them and i can guarantee you they 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 do they know what what stresses them and what doesn't and what's a predator and what's not and so you know i I do exactly that I, i try to get on a schedule and i try to maintain it and when i deviate from that that's when I noticed the biggest, uh, the biggest change in their behavior. Um, the best day for me seeing deer on camera is the day after I went and checked that camera. And they're coming back through and smelling you and checking you out where you were. They're kind of curious about it, right? Yep. Usually, usually if I try, I, 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 I swear to goodness, somebody could hunt after me and kill bucks just left and right <laughs> because that four hours through it's like the buck parade you know it, it, it literally is like the buck parade that it, it, it four hours after i've came through if i've come through an area that i that i know is it's is got a buck in it he's going to be right behind me it, it it never fails man people can go uh, look it up i i cannot remember the episode number but it's like two years ago it's it was called finesse deer calling tactics with michael pike or something like that if you search that you you should find it but michael pike did pretty much exactly that they walked into a scrape and it was so fresh and it, it was a scrape we had history with and like i had bucks on camera they'd come hit the scrape and they'd go into this little pine thicket next to it and they'd hang out in there for a couple hours and then come back out you know four eight twelve hours later down the same trail and I, I think there was maybe tracks or something in the scrape facing towards that thicket and but it was michael and our i think our buddy clay was with him and uh there was fresh sign and michael's like man i think there's a deer like laying i think there's a buck laying in that thicket right now and he's like clay do you mind just like leaving and like leaving me in here and clay's like yeah sure so clay walked out not being quiet you know making it known that he was leaving he walked up out of the holler got on the gravel road crunched his way back to the truck and michael shot a buck right there not long after that the buck he heard it get up out of its bed in that pine thicket and walked into the holler and he shot and killed that thing and so that's just like one of those wacky off the wall things, but it works, man. And the, and the cameras prove it. 
Oh, the cameras definitely prove it. I mean, I mean, you know, I can't tell you how stupid I felt sometimes walking away from a camera and, and coming back the next week and realizing that two hours after I walked out of that, that zone, that camera, you know, that buck that I'm after come and check me, you know, it, it happens without a doubt. And it, it it's like I said, it, it, they get to where they, they know and, and I don't know if they get to where they know, or if it's just an, in just instinct that they, that, they know what they're comfortable with and what they're not and we don't know that you know yeah and how often every i mean every single fall the the 12 year old who who dad dropped off down in the holler and then left you know 30 minutes later just nails a good one you know because that he you know he leaves his kid there and goes walking off and that buck hears it and he goes in there to check it out because i mean they're very they're curious animals man and it's funny when you will put a camera out and like we'll have it on video where we put a camera out and when we're putting the camera out we have ourselves on video like grabbing a limb or something to like help ourselves up and for days after that deer will come through there and smell exactly where we grabbed that limb like five days later after a rain i mean they're there it, it shows how incredible their nose is but i think also maybe how curious they are and and you can actually exploit that so that that's a that's a very very interesting topic that I don't think I don't think people do that. I mean, I just don't think that's a tactic that a lot of people ever do. No, I think that's something that I think a lot of our old school hunters like I remember doing that when I first started coming up hunting is I had had guys that took me out hunting. And that's basically what they would do. You know, we we would get on a trail or you know, get get somewhere that we're going to hunt and they would drop me off at a point and it, they would walk on knowing that probably the deer is going to think that the, that the danger left and I'm there. And that's how, you know, that's how I killed a lot of deer doing it. Especially my, my, my parent, my, my, my granddad did that a lot. And, um, and, and he did it with my dad when they were young. So, you know, it's just one of those things that, that I think is just kind of been a lost, um, strategy, I guess, to hunt deer. But I think, I definitely think it's there, there's a lot to it and there's, there's a lot more, uh, you know, there's there's a lot more success and a lot more uh, availability if you, if you, you know, work on tactics like that with your, you know, if you got partners that you trust, you know. Oh, for sure. Man, we could go on and on and on and on and on about all this stuff. Uh, definitely going to have to have you back on again. And, and maybe we'll have to do another one with you and Paul. Man, that'd be fun because uh, that's just always such a good conversation like this has been. Um, one thing, because I, I know I'm going to get questions about this. I got to ask with all the trail cameras that you run, do you have any kind of preference? Like what, what has your experience been with like the different cameras? Cause I, I know you run a lot of like cheaper stuff, but I think you got some expensive ones as well. Yeah, I do. You know, it, you know, Pasco from Walmart there, they, you know, as far as if you're just trying to throw out something, you, you really can't beat them. I mean, they, they, they're, you know, I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen anything that, that really, as far as bang for your buck that you could go for. If, if you were going to, if you, if you were going to try to do what I'm trying to do, you know, and you're, you're, you're going to experiment with, with, uh, with doing, you know, 15 or 20 cameras, that would be the route I would go, you know, it, just, just to get that initial like start to it is, is one of the lower game. And you really can't go, you can't go wrong with them. And I've got a bunch of those and I trust them and they do a really good job. Uh, you're not going to get a long life out of them, but you know, for two or three years, you, you're 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 pretty good to go. But as far as quality goes, uh, man, I, I love Browning. Uh, I'm not, I have no sponsorship in any of these cameras at all, so I, I don't, I don't, I don't mind sharing my experience. But I, I love the quality of the Browning. 
Uh, I've actually got a couple of black gates that I've that I've acquired over the last several months, and the quality of those is inc- impressive. Just just really, as far as as far as the quality goes, they're probably a, a notch above the, the the Brownings. But as far as just your the kind you can buy right off the shelf, the Brownings will be hard to beat. The Bushnell as well. Um, but th- those would be would be my three or four that I would recommend to everybody. Um, if you're if you're going with non or once you get into cellular cameras, uh, that's a whole different whole different ball game right there. And I, I don't have a whole lot of experience on on the different different versions of those. So yeah, I gotta say, man, the Browning cameras. I I only have one Browning camera, and it has been a freaking awesome camera. And I bought it in like. I used to work at a bow shop and we had that camera on display in 2015. And then when they released like the new one, I bought the display model for like $20, you know? And so it's like a 2015 camera sat on a display shelf for a year. I bought it, I think in 2016 and I'm still using it today. And the the only issue I've started having with it is it'll like reset my date half the time, which is extremely annoying, but I uh, do the quality and, you know, for a camera that's lasted yeah. that long, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it. Yeah. They're, they're new. They're, they're new ones. I, I bought, I, I bought about eight or nine last year to kind of replace some other ones that I had of theirs. And the, 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 the quality you just, you just, you know, for, you know, and they're not expensive. I mean, they're under a hundred bucks from, for most of what you're going to get on those, if you can get good deals on them. Uh, but yeah, you just really can't beat the quality of those. And, and they, and the thing about it is if you have this many cameras out, you want something that works, but you want something, you know, it's not just about quality. It's about goodness. You, you go out there, you want it to uh, capture what came in front of it, you know? Uh, so I did a lot. I do a, I do a lot of pulling cameras and testing them here at the house to see exactly what they're catching. And, you know, you, you, you have that many cameras out and you're walking that much in the woods to test them to, to, or to, to pull the cards. You want to make, make sure that it, it got uh, whatever came in front of it. And you, you really just can't, you can't beat the Browning as far as doing that. They, they will get, if there's a deer passing through within its sensor range, it, it'll get it. You know, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Shane, I mentioned earlier about how you do some like awesome stuff in our group text that I wish the world could see, but also on your page, you actually do some write-ups from time to time that are excellent like excellent write-ups on like some of the data that you found you want to tell people where they can kind of follow along with that yeah you can you can find me on facebook i'm just under under uh shane parker but uh, i also have a a page dedicated to kind of our outdoor group and that's uh, november warrior outdoors and you can find that on youtube uh you can find it on instagram um again i'm gonna start doing a lot of uh of e-scouting videos and stuff like that that you'll see coming out over the next uh, next couple of uh, probably next month or so on YouTube and uh, and on Facebook as well. But yeah, Shane Parker on 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 Facebook. I'm easy to find. Shoot me a message if you have any questions. At November Warrior Outdoors on uh, on Instagram and on uh, YouTube. Awesome, Shane, dude. It's always a pleasure. This has been awesome. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate, it, man. Take care.
you guys seem to really have enjoyed over the last year where we've went to a Q&A format every Thursday on the show where we answer some listener questions. Now, some of the most common ones that we get have to do with gear, but also how to find a good hunting buddy. You know, I'm really lucky to, to have a hunting buddy like Jacob. We've been on a lot of incredible hunting trips together over the years, and it's just nice to have somebody that, you know, is always down to go on that that trip that you've always wanted to go on or, or who'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning and go get that gate before someone else does on public land with you, whatever the case may be. And like I said, we get a lot of questions on how do you find, you know, a group of people who enjoy that same thing so you can kind of network and make some connections. The Mobile Hunters Expo is the place to do that. Y'all heard us talk about it last year. And guess what? This year it's happening in Dalton, Georgia. We're going to be there June 28th through the 30th. We're going to be there all three days. We're going to have a booth. You can come talk to us. We talked to a lot of you guys last year, had a ton of fun. So looking forward to that again. But guys, I'm telling you, this is the place to come network. And there's going to be a ton of you guys there. A lot of Southern Outdoorsman podcast listeners are going to be at this show. And actually, Friday, June 28th, there's going to be an after-hour social after the expo. So what better place to go kind of intermingle, hang out with a bunch of like-minded people, and probably pick up a couple new hunting buddies. So you guys don't miss it. It's June 28th through the 30th. I'm telling you, if you listen to this podcast, this is an event you need to be at. Now, we'll see you guys at the Mobile Hunters Expo June 28th through the 30th in Dalton, Georgia.